but Adam. Some more exciting answers to the baffling and intriguing questions of science. Up and Adam, science on FBI. Welcome back to week two, Tom Gordon. Hi, thanks to be thanks to be here. Nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's nice to be up way earlier than you'd normally be to talk about science. Or are you normally up this early talking about oh, science? Oh, look, as soon as I, I get up, I t- start talking about science instantly. <laughs> Into your cornflakes, just yeah. theorizing. <laughs> um, you're filling in for Dr. Alice Williamson. This is your second week while she's away. And you work with her as well, right? I, yes, I do, yeah. Great. So, you guys are mates. Uh, you know how this show works. We had you in last week. Um, and you've also filled in earlier with Lucy Smith and stuff like that. So, you're pretty much a pro. Yeah, look, uh, <laughs> this is this is old for me now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. This is just, this is old news. Uh, well, we wanted to kind of kick things off with quite a topical conversation. And it's also a conversation that I really don't have very much input in because if I see anything about cricket, I immediately just kind of sigh and turn the page. <laughs> so we're talking about the cheating scandal that just went down. Do you want to just give a quick run over of what happened for me. <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, like like any good scientist, I'll jump on a bandwagon. So when there's, you know, when there's a conversation happening about something topical, like I can jump in and just start talking about the science of how that works. I love bandwagons. So, so that's that's what that's what I'm talking about today is this ball tampering scandal with the Australian cricket team. And what they've done is they've manipulated and interfered with the, the cricket ball in order to get an advantage. Right. Um, you know, there, there's lots of money in cricket. There's lots of incentive to do the wrong thing to get a better outcome. Uh, ball tampering's not new. It's just the first time or one of the first times that Australians have been caught doing it. Oh. And everyone's up in arms. So what they've been doing is they've been trying to manipulate the cricket ball in order to get an advantage, like I said, right? So there's two sides to a cricket ball when you when you deliver the ball. There's the seam, which go down, goes down the middle. Yep. And there's, a, you know, one side and the other side. Over time, one side will be a little bit more roughed up and scratchy because it's been hit more times or it's fallen on the floor more times, and the other side will be a bit more shiny. Right. And what the cricketers try and do is is try and make one side more rough and one side more shiny. And you can do you can make one side more rough by um, you know it's just wear and tear or something like that, or scratching it or you know, it gets, just gets hit by the cricket bat, falls on the floor, and you can make the other side more shiny by rubbing it on your clothes, collecting some sweat from your brow and rubbing that into the ball. Sometimes the players will wear sunscreen or they always wear sunscreen, so they rub that into the ball as well. Aww. Or Vaseline, they can put Vaseline on their pants, so when they rub it on their pants, the Vaseline gets absorbed into the ball. That's illegal, by the way. That's gross as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop so they're... rubbing balls on your crutch, guys. <laughs> I thought this game was meant to be classy. <laughs> <laughs> so what they're doing is encouraging one side to be shiny and kind of not encouraging the other side to be shiny. So it gets a bit more rough. Does that make it spin differently yes, or something? Yes, it would not, 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 doesn't make it spin differently, but it makes it move through the air differently, right? So on one side, the shiny side, the air goes around the ball and sticks close to the ball for longer. Mm. This is called laminar flow, right? So if you turn a tap on... Um, the first bit of the water that comes out of the tap is nice and smooth, and then it kind of falls out everywhere. That's the the smooth part is the laminar flow, and the rough part is turbulent flow. Wow! Right, so laminar flow is like fluid dynamics. This is like first and second year university physics. Right, this is 
brilliant stuff. So the lamina flow goes around the shiny side of the ball, sticks closer to the ball, and then separates after, uh, later around the ball. On the turbulent side, the rough side, the, the air separates from the cricket ball a little bit earlier, which means there's a little bit lower pressure on that side, higher pressure on the other side, so the ball gets pushed towards the rough side. Therefore, it swings towards the rough side. Oh. So if you can swing the ball more, it's un more unpredictable to hit for the batsman. So we want to, or cricketers, want to encourage balls or the cricket balls to swing towards the rough side. This is like, it's called conventional swing. Like I said, there are some ways to do that. You can do it legally by rubbing the ball on your clothes, rubbing some sweat or sunscreen into it. If you or hair gel, they use hair gel as well. Oh. Vaseline is out of the game. And also scratching or using sandpaper on the rough side is also not allowed. And that's what they've been doing, to rough up the rough side a little bit more to encourage the swing to happen. Yeah, so the, the player got caught with... Uh, something that was roughing up basically sandpaper okay. yeah and you can see, there's sometimes uh, there's there's footage of other players who have used their fingernails to scratch it as well you're not allowed to do that you're not allowed to tamp with the ball in a way that's not you know in the game you can rub it on your clothes to shine the shiny side but you can't use sandpaper to scratch up the rough side and that's what they've been caught doing Wow, I feel yeah. like there's a lot of people out there playing backyard cricket just rubbing it on their crotch because they thought they weren't meant to do that. <laughs> uh, I've always grown up with people doing that and I feel like none of them are good enough bowlers yeah. that it would really make any difference. You need to be fairly quick. You need to have a, a quick delivery because the air pressure is, is very small, like the difference between the shiny side and the rough side. This is well known. Like There's this thing called the Magnus effect. If you get a uh, like a shiny ball, like a golf ball or a soccer ball and you kick it hard spinning it a little bit it's going to uh, it's going to move towards the side that's spinning against right so if you spin it to the left it's going to move to the right well that's really interesting yeah. and that's that's like bend it like Beckham that's what that was he was spinning the ball making use of this Magnus effect mm. which is spinning the ball so that the, the turbulent side separates earlier than the laminar side slight differences in air pressure which makes the ball move but wouldn't you want to bowl it straight so that you'd hit the wicket? Am I entering really stupid territory now? <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you do. Sometimes you, you want to bowl the ball straight so it hits the wicket, but sometimes you want to bowl the ball so it moves so the batsman only just hits it and then they can catch it in, uh, in the, you know, okay. whatever. So you can make the batsman do things that they didn't want to do. It's a lot more complicated than I previously thought, but I feel like you've definitely cleared up a lot of questions I had, <laughs> which is great, and I feel like I can participate in some pretty uh, smart sports conversations now. Just, uh, yeah, so in backyard <laughs> cricket, instead of rubbing a tennis ball on your on your pants, uh, that's not going to do much because a tennis ball is pretty Already rough anyway. Fluffy. Just put some tape around it. That's not illegal in backyard cricket. You uh, can just put some tape on one side. Fantastic. Easy. Yeah, the, the uh, backyard cricket adjudicators aren't going aren't gonna <laughs> to get you for that one. You're not going to get suspended or fined. Uh, we're right in the middle of Up and Adam with Tom Gordon. And we're talking about something pretty crazy, but it has been around for quite a while now, Schmidt, a.k.a. Synthetic Meat. Yeah, so <laughs> this, this really excites me um, because it makes us think not only about science but also about how science affects us and people and what we do and how we live our normal lives. You'd think of scientists in a lab doing science, thinking about science, but this is making everyone think about science and that's yeah. what I really like about this. 
So, yeah, in vitro meat has many names. Uh, some of them are lab meat, ethical meats, cellular, agriculture, cultured meat. The one I like is schmeat. I don't know where that comes from, just synthetic meat, I think. Schmeat. Sounds a little bit like spam. Like, have you tried <laughs> schmeat? <laughs> it's very fun. Uh, suddenly I'm turned off by it. But, yeah, yeah schmeat is, is this, yeah, uh, lab-grown in vitro meat. And the way that it works is you grow, you're growing muscle cells in a nutrient-rich serum, and that could come from a number of places. And what you're doing is you're encouraging um, these meat fibers or muscle fibers to grow in that serum. And we can do that through a number of processes. But the question I have for you is if we can grow meat, right, we can basically grow any type of meat. So my question to you is, would you eat an echidna burger? Whoa. Hit me up with the... Does it the difference between eating an echidna burger now and eating a synthetic meat echidna burger is just that an echidna doesn't have to die? Wow, I feel like that's such an ethical question. It's weird, isn't it? It's making you think about what what you would like what, what meat is in and a way. Why haven't I already eaten an echidna <laughs> burger if I was to say yes to that question? Yeah, yeah, it's I love it. I love this question. And so the next question is if you could where would you go to buy an echidna burger? Like, what even is it? And this is, this is again, this is the cool thing. So it's starting to question what meat is. Yeah. Right? And like, like you said, this is not a new thing. Uh, there's a story from 2003, a while ago, from a Dutch scientist. His name was Dr. Mark Post. And he made a burger that was um, a synthetically grown lab-based burger. And it cost about $300,000 to make. Oi. And back then it was like, oh, you silly scientists, you know, you're just mucking around. And we never thought back then we're going to have to think about this. (laughs) But now we do because there are some people who think that in about a year's time we'll be able to buy synthetic meat. At our grocery store. Perhaps. What? Who knows? And there's there's uh, some places that you can buy them for like $10 now rather than $300,000. It's, it's uh, accelerating very fast and it's making us think about what meat is. Wow. So next question, like you go to the supermarket, you go to the meat aisle and you buy, you know, a beef burger or whatever it is. But where would you buy the schmeat burger? Is it an animal? Is it meat? Or is it part of the vegetable section? Or is it part of the, you know, where do, where do you go? Where do you buy that? It'd have its own separate section, wouldn't it, at the That's end? That's right. We now are forcing, scientists are forcing lawmakers to think about the definition of meat. And that's brilliant. And we've done this before. We've had to make scientists and lawyers come together and talk about what meat is. And it's it's really exciting. Um, you know, there's heaps of questions. Yeah. Um, my question, I think my big question was, since this is something that has crept up on us, and I had no idea that this was something that was going to be happening in such a, a short-term sort of future, what's its impact going to be on actual meat farmers? <laughs> for sure, for sure. So we can we could probably make uh, meat or schmeat, uh, far more efficiently than any farm could. So right. that's going to impact a lot of people. So we have to think about that as well. We don't have to think about, not only do we have to think about law and, you know, ourselves and, you know, would a vegetarian eat meat, you know, that sort of stuff. But we have to think about people's lives and livelihood uh, as well as animal ethics and as well as all of that stuff. It's fascinating to think about. There's even more. Like if you can make like an echidna burger or a panda burger or just a better tasting burger, beef burger, whatever, you can also start putting things in like 
uh, vitamins and minerals oh. inside meat or vaccines or other things inside meat to help, like we put fluoride in water, right? We can put things into meat That's that help us. Freaky. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It goes the other way. You could make uh, vegetables that taste like meat or vegetables that have meat protein in them. So you don't even eat meat. You're eating, say, broccoli, but it's got the same stuff as meat in it. It's, it's you know, is that meat? What I don't know. I like the idea of vegetables that taste like meat. I'm a 22-year-old that still is really bad at eating vegetables. So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good to me. And you were saying that you're a vegetarian. Yeah, I'm a vegetarian. Saying, hell yeah to synthetic meat. I you would, would eat do it. it. I would eat it. Totally. Well, yeah. yeah, I guess like as long as no animal is getting harmed by it. And if that's the reason why you choose to be vegetarian, then it's ticking all the boxes. And I speak to a lot of, because uh, I ask this question of meat eaters as well, would you eat synthetic meat? And they say, no, why? You'd have the real thing. But then, but then I just tell them, you can make meat taste better. You can make meat better for you. Uh, you know, there's all this stuff about, you know, Angus beef and Wagyu beef and all that with the with the lines of fat that go through it and that's what makes it... I don't know, I'm, you I'm out of that. You can just code it to do that. You can write stuff in the meat <laughs> with the fat line, the fat things. Happy birthday, yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Personalised schmeat that tastes good and is good for you. This is making Imagine me that. really excited about 2000 and <laughs> 2019. <laughs> yeah, but... The question is, is it meat? We have to think about that. And this is one of those examples where scientists are forcing us to think about this important questions like this. It's not just, is it meat? But it is about how we deal with science and how we deal with discoveries that are happening. This stuff, this conversation started over a decade ago and it's happening now. We have to think about it. Yeah. And this is the, this is the, the exciting part of science. Sure, we can make discoveries, but these discoveries impact us and we need to, we need to consider that all the time. That's so interesting. Uh, is there a way? Oh, you, you sent me a link to an article. I can probably put that on the programs page. If you're really interested in reading more about it, uh, just go to fbiradio.com, click on programs, and then click on up for it, and you'll be able to see the links to both of the topics that we've talked about, the whole ball spinning science. No, ball swinging science. Ball tampering. Ball tampering. There yeah. we go. And uh, your, your Schmidt. Uh, thank you so much, Tom Gordon, for coming in for for another week of Up and Adam. This is your last week, is that right? Yes, you'll have Alice back here. Well, uh, I hope week. to see you soon. Thanks heaps. Cheers, see ya.